name's Eileen Townsend, and I'm the editor of the Northern Logger and Timber Processor, a trade magazine for the forest products industry that's based out of the Adirondack Mountains in New York State. Hello, this is Emily, filling in for your editor Eileen Townsend while she's away this week. You don't usually hear my voice on the podcast, but I'm the producer and audio editor for this fabulous show. So thanks for having me on as your substitute host today. This month, we are addressing the issue on everyone's mind, literally everyone in the world. We're talking about COVID-19 and how it specifically has impacted the wood products industry. It's a big topic that seems to be always changing. There's topics like employees' needs and business loans, new protocols to the health of the different wood markets, to the health of the employees. I think we can all agree it's sort of surreal that this issue didn't seem to exist two months ago, and now it's almost too mammoth and constantly changing to properly cover. However, Charlie Levesque, president of Innovative Natural Resource Solutions, a Northeast-based forestry consulting firm, wrote an excellent story about COVID's impacts on our industry in this month's print edition of the Northern Logger and Timber Processor. He'll be our guide on this episode, and he'll update us on how the crisis has influenced our industry. He remembers when it first started to feel real for him in the Northeast region. Yeah, I guess like everybody else, um, you know, I think in our company, we're a bit uh, kind of news junkies. Uh, You know, we all kind of tune in to many sources every single day. And so even, you know, when the first inklings of it came in late January and early February, I mean, we we certainly knew about it, didn't know that would be as big a deal. And probably most people didn't know back then. And so after that, I mean, I actually as a forester, manage some logging jobs, do some forest management plans. And I had a logging job that started the last week of February. And so I had a crew out there. And I remember shaking the hand of the fellow buncher operator on March 10th. Uh, And the reason why I remember that is that he ended up getting the virus, uh, although he was never tested because they didn't want to waste the test on him by the time he was recovered. He very likely had it. In fact, they counted him in New Hampshire in the list of folks who had contracted it and recovered. But I remember shaking hands with him on March 10th, and we kind of said to each other, we probably shouldn't do this anymore. We were in the woods checking out what he was doing, and we said, we probably shouldn't do this uh, after this. And he agreed, and I agreed. And then, unbeknownst to me, he went out on sick leave the next week, and he was in bed for nine days. A really healthy 30-year-old guy was stuck in bed for nine days, and I saw him like three weeks later, and he said, yeah, I've never had anything whack me like that. And, you know, so it affects people different different ways. But But interestingly, that case is the only direct forest industry case that I or my two partners uh, know about. Well, we can say we know that guy and he or she uh, had it for sure. We don't know of anybody else that we've, you know, are in touch with directly. I mean, we've talked with a lot of mill people, and there have been a few places where they said, yeah, we sent that person home because they had flu-like symptoms, but a lot of those people don't get tested, you know, so you don't really know. And so, you know, it really started happening around that time. But as as we started talking, you know, this industry uh, is set up beautifully, especially the woods part of it, 
for this kind of pandemic because people are are naturally socially distancing in this industry. And, you know, in the article we, we wrote for Northern Lager, as we were talking with people, you know, the normal practices that they always do anyways, they hyped up just one notch. For instance, uh, you know, folks who, um, you know, generally cruise in the woods and logging companies, they often swap off equipment. So, some don't do much of it. Others do more of it. You know, where one day so-and-so will run the fellow bunch. I mean, the fellow bunch operators, are, you know, are considered a, a special skill set. And so that doesn't get swapped off as much as others. Um, but somebody might be uh, riding a skitter one day. They might drive a truck the next day. And as part of the social distancing, what most companies did and are still doing is a lot less switching off of equipment in the woods, right? So that people, other people are not touching the surfaces in the vehicles, in the skitters, in the fellow bunchers. So that's something that's kind of new, uh, although they were generally, a lot of that happens anyways, clearly people brought that up a notch. And that's kind of generally what's happened where people said, okay, that's your piece of equipment. You're going to stick with that until we get through this. And if people did switch, uh, I, I physically saw on some logging sites where people had cleaning equipment uh, there where they would wipe down steering wheels, levers, all that kind of stuff that you should do. So this industry, you know, certainly has taken it seriously. And, you know, nobody knows, but I suspect in the supply chain for the forest products industry, if you were to compare it to other sectors in society, we probably have had a lot fewer contracted cases simply because we have natural social distancing and people took it very seriously, even in the mills, where there's obviously a lot more opportunity for, for people in Iraq. People have taken it seriously there as well. Charlie went on to detail how the various markets have been impacted. So in terms of markets, as we say in the article, this this is mixed up in the natural you know, mud season kinds of stuff that happens at this time of year, you know, all the way from the lake states, all the way to Maine and, and down south, you know, on the eastern seaboard a bit. Naturally, we have a change in what goes on in forest products markets all the way from the supply chain in the woods, starting with the foresters and loggers to truckers, all the way in the mills. That always changes at this time anyway, and then starts to get more normal again, depending on whether we have a wet spring or a dry spring spring coming into May, whether it's early May, late May, June, you know, it depends on the season. So the whole pandemic got mixed up with all of that. And uh, that it's a little hard to tease that out, right? Because you got some of that mills, for instance, are always looking to get their log supplies and their feedstock supplies. Maybe they get chips as a feedstock. They're always looking to try to build that up as the winter ends because they know they're going to have a mud season period where the supply is going to be a lot less and they don't want to run out. So that's normal mud season kind of activity. So the real question is how much of this is pandemic related and how much is not. So if we kind of want to cycle down through the markets looking from low grade markets to high value markets, you know, on the on the very low uh, end side, we're talking about uh, biomass chips for electricity generation. And that generally doesn't change a whole lot at this time of year. Now, that sector has already been devastated by non-pandemic issues in the last year anyways. You know, the sector is a lot smaller than it was a year ago and a lot smaller than it was two years ago. But the fact is that the, the plants that are still running are still running and they're still taking chips 
And I talked to a logger yesterday who put in a load of chips yesterday. So, you know, I mean, that kind of thing is going on. It hasn't changed a whole lot and probably won't. It, it, it won't change any more than it normally does during this time of year. So for the electricity markets that drive that, remember that we get spikes in electricity demand in North, northeast and elsewhere in the country in two times of the year. In the wintertime, when we have a spike in demand because of heating needs, whether you're using electric heat or you're using stuff that's driven by electricity, there's always spikes when we have those really cold stretches. And then in the summertime, when we get the heat spells, the same thing happens, right? So those are your peak times anyway. So those aren't going to change. So in that sector, haven't seen a whole lot different. Again, it's way down from where it was, has nothing to do with the pandemic. So then as, as you kind of climb up the food chain, look maybe to pulpwood next. So we have what? six, seven pulp mills, plus the ones in Pennsylvania in the, in the Northeast, maybe 10, if we're thinking about overall in that ballpark. Um, for the most part, those pulp mills, except for one, which, you know, had a big explosion in Jay, Maine, which you may have heard about, maybe not, a digester exploded a few weeks ago. And that mill is actually operating, but it's not taking wood in as it normally would for feedstock. It's using market pulp from other mills to make its paper. So it's making paper, but it's not making pulp. And it's going to be well over a year before that's repaired. And that's one of the big mills in the region. But outside of that, the rest of the pulp mills generally are operating as they would at this time of year. But we're hearing now that, you know, some of their demand for their final product is starting to see some softening. And remember, uh, output products from pulp mills uh, in the Northeast are competing against the same commodity products from any pulp mill anywhere in the world, right? So if you've got an overall slowdown in the economy, eventually that's going to catch up to this. And it's only now starting to do that. We're hearing a few folks saying, yeah, the orders are kind of starting to soften and prices are probably going to start to soften if they haven't already, right? So that's starting to hit and that's probably pandemic related. Where does that go over the next three months or six months, anybody's guess, you know? I mean, the states are starting to open up, right? And if they open up and we don't have a second blip in the number of cases, then the economy is going to slowly get back to where it was at some point. Is it six months or a year from now? We don't know that. But the fact is paper is everywhere in our society for packaging, for uses that are the normal paper, paper uses you think of, to toilet paper, to, to boxes, everything, you know, that's part, seriously part of our society. And so that is going to run the trend of what happens in the rest of the economy. So right now, we're certainly seeing some of that starting to trickle in. That demand has certainly on that far end consumer product, whether it's toilet paper or writing paper or anything you can think of at that final end stage, that's starting to change because of the pandemic and the slowdown in the economy. So maybe we can segue into talking a little bit about uh, some of the higher end markets. And Usually, we kind of uh, take the sawmills, which are primary processes, right? They take round logs and they make them into square solid wood, whether it's boards or timbers or whatever it is for secondary markets, or they, they might make finished products in the mill. Hardwood mills have a different market than softwood mills. And hardwood, is particularly you know in the last 10 years, 
has seen a growth in export markets. And there are a lot of hardwood mills that have taken advantage of markets that are on the other side of the world. And we're thinking China and Southeast Asia, uh, some mills you know, may have upwards of half of their production from the Northeast U.S. going on the, uh, to the other side of the world, world, whether it's lumber or logs or both. Okay. And so interestingly, you know, China, uh, you know, obviously was hit first uh, with the pandemic and the COVID-19 virus. They also have come out of it first. And so we know for a fact, because we've talked to some of the hardwood mill owners, that um, people got have been getting back into the mills that use U.S. hardwood uh, for finished product or even for kind of secondary manufacturing in China, uh, you know, way before uh, we're going to do that here if things went out. There, they closed a lot of everything, right? Here, uh, the thing that I haven't talked about yet is that uh, both from the federal level and uh, from the state level, because the governors actually control this, the forest products industry in the U.S. has been deemed, for the most part, essential, Right. Except for some of the secondary manufacturing stuff, when you go way out in those final products, most of everything else has been, de been deemed essential. And that's why in the supply chain from foresters to loggers to truckers to sawmills to pulp mills to bioenergy plants, that has all been operating during the pandemic. It's been essential. And again, I described the fact that people are trying to be safe. So that wasn't the case in China where they kind of shut down the entire economy. But since then, and really for at least the last month and a little more than that, folks got back into the workforce in China and Southeast Asia. And so the hardwood mills that, and again, most of them, if they're surviving, they're using those foreign markets. They have decided uh, that they're going to continue on that run. And that's and this, remember, uh, we had tariffs that were imposed on China, which severely hurt the hardwood sawmills in, in the U.S. That all got lifted right as the pandemic started happening. And so the shipments started happening. And then, uh, you know, people started getting back into the mills in China. And so, you know, I talked with a sawmill uh, owner just last Friday, uh, hardwood sawmill owner said, you know, we're shipping overseas just like we were before the tariffs. So things are looking pretty good for that sector. Now, the portion of this, the hardwood sawmill sector that is more domestic is going to be affected like the pulp uh, markets that we talked about. They still have markets, but they're starting to soften, certainly, uh, just because the economy is shut down so severely uh, in the U.S. and North America. But they haven't shut down completely. And, you know, there, there will be hardly any sawmills that you will see in the region uh, who are shut down completely because of this. Now, a few marginal mills I've heard have taken some time and shut down for a brief period, but for the most part, they're operating. So hardwood sawmills, not a bad situation. I guarantee if you talk to a logger about it, they will tell you that their demand is down and their prices are down. But is that mud season or is that pandemic? I don't think anybody knows yet. We won't know that for a couple more months. Yeah, so, so uh, in the spruce fir mills, their markets are structural timber markets, right? That's construction. That's two-by material timbers and so forth that are used both in commercial and residential construction. And we already know that the housing starts, which is a key indicator for that sector and a good part of the forest products industry, frankly, were uh, back to pre 
recession levels come January of this year. Okay. So we finally got back to where they were in 2007 come January. And it took that whole time to get back to those pre-recession levels. And then the pandemic hit. And so it really whacked the construction industry that has, that has clearly uh, taken a nosedive. And until construction and home building becomes an essential or at least a, a, a non-restricted sector again, which probably will happen pretty soon. Uh, and again, state by state, governor by governor, that, set, that part of the sawmill industry certainly has been affected and, and will continue. So, you know, the pine sector uh, is also affected by housing. But remember, the pine mills in the region uh, largely produce a one inch board for finished kind of work, whether it's furniture or trim or something that gets painted or whatever, it's one inch board as opposed to two inch and other stock from spruce and fir. The interesting thing that's happened with pine mills, and some of this has happened certainly with the, the spruce fir mills, uh, but not as much as with pine, is that the pine mills, these are usually the larger mills, uh, that have accounts with the big box stores and the big even local building supply chains because there are a lot of kind of family owned chains that might have 10 buildings, you know, building supply centers over two or three states. You know, that's the case throughout the Northeast and all the way to the Lake States. The folks that have accounts there have seen their uh, their uh, orders actually spiked during the pandemic because what's happened is people with a lot of time on their hands have decided to do those home improvement projects, which they've been wanting to do for the last five years. And literally uh, people have gone out and bought a whole lot more lumber at that retail level than they would normally at this time of year. And so that has happened. Now, having said that, that can only last so long. And the people who've decided to do that probably have done it. And so just talking with some pine mill folks in the last week, they're saying, yeah, maybe the softening of their markets is starting to happen, but they literally have had a little boom, a mini boom, be, uh, you know, from those that have kind of direct markets into retail. Uh, that's probably going to change again, because the overall economy has shrunk so much unemployment and everything. We're going to probably see a bit of a dip there. Uh, and the question is how long before it comes back? So those mills also, you know, have cut back their log buying and prices as they normally would during mud season. And so, you know, it may take them longer to get out of this period before they're back to kind of something a little more normal. Charlie also explained how employees and employers are handling this challenging time. So everybody in the U.S. has certainly heard of this CARES Act, and it's many components to it, but frankly, the critical one for the forest products industry and supply chain, because primarily because most of the businesses are fairly small, but the one that I'll try to focus on here, because I think it probably has been taken advantage of by the forest products industry more than other opportunities of, of conventional loans and whatnot, is this thing called a Paycheck Protection Program, PPP, as it's commonly been uh, known. And if you remember, in the original CARES Act, it had $349 billion set aside for it. And that money literally went out of the coffers and got uh, gobbled up in a, a matter of a couple weeks time by all sectors in society. And we know for a fact that folks from Forrester and consulting forestry companies to loggers and mills, I'm not saying everybody did it, but 
uh, a high percentage of folks in the forest products industry took advantage of that opportunity to sort of backfill a little bit uh, to be able to pay their employees and keep full staff on because that's what everybody's goal was. And as I said earlier, I'm guessing if there was a way to drill down to find out, you know, how many people were kind of furloughed from, from the forest products industry compared to other, other manufacturing in the United States, I bet this sector would be on top in terms of not furloughing a lot of people. You know, people stayed employed and, and have stayed employed in this sector, and the Paycheck Protection Program have helped uh, folks do that. So that's a very short-term uh, program that really is designed to keep people employed for really two months. I mean, that's all it is. But for a lot of businesses, that's a big time period to get people over the hump. Uh, that's probably been a big help to everybody in the sector. What we have heard from other another part of the CARES Act that has not been so positive to employers, but has been probably positive to employees, is uh, the added benefits that have been added to unemployment. So unemployment compensation obviously is paid out to uh, employees when they're furloughed, when they're laid off, and that happens by, on a state-by-state -state basis. But the CARES Act provided money to each of the states to backfill the normal unemployment payments that people get when they're furloughed uh, with an extra $600 a week. And, you know, for somebody who's employed in manufacturing, that can be huge. And what's happened and, you know, we had fears of this when we first heard the policy is that some employees ha have at least thought that they can do better if they're not working compared to if they're working their normal job. And so the CARES Act allows people to say, I'm fearful of my health if I go to work. And so some people in the forest products industry, we know because we've talked to mill owners and loggers who've lost people who are normally on staff because they have taken that opportunity to say, I'm not uh, safe, or at least I feel I'm not safe with the pandemic uh, at the mill, and I'm going to stay out, and I'm going to take advantage of unemployment. And they've done that. So in some places, uh, both in the woods and in the mills, you know, people lost employees and had a little more difficult time to, you know, fully staff their shifts simply because they've lost lost people. And, you know, on a, on a, a typical mid-sized sawmill, you may only have 100 to total employees. And if they're running two shifts, you may have 50 or 40 in a shift and 60 in another. And if you lose 10 or 20 of those people, major bottleneck for being able to run that shift. And so it may be helpful for employees, but I know mill owners and others are certainly hoping that uh, they're going to be able to get those people back so they can run full shifts when they need to. You know, because of the time lag here, our fear and thinking about the industry as a whole is that, okay, some people t decide to take advantage of this opportunity to go on an unemployment. Well, the mills may slow down here because of the lag in what's happened in the economy. And maybe when those unemployment benefits run out, the mills are not going to be ready to, to reemploy them. You know, it may, may take more months. So we'll see how that all shakes out, but that's kind of an unknown. So, you know, those two uh, programs as part of the CARES Act, is pro and one is, you know, employer-related, the other one is employee-related. Those have been, you know, clearly the two that probably have affected folks within the forest products industry the most, just as it has in all the other sectors of manufacturing in the country. In addition to the market changes and new protocols, probably the next biggest topic on everyone's mind is how different each state is handling mills. Malcolm Milne, a projects coordinator for a mill in New Hampshire, explained how being deemed an essential service 
helped his facility weather the past few months. So again, yeah, Malcolm Mellon, I've been at the company for 12 or 13 years. I am the compliance coordinator. I grew up in the area. I've known the family that owns the company pretty much my whole life. And uh, I uh, worked as an attorney in Boston for uh, you know, probably four or five years and moved back to the area, uh, like I said, about 12 years ago. I started working for the company you know, primarily as the compliance coordinator, uh, but I've also you know, filled other roles on the administrative side and also on the uh, capital projects uh, side. In New Hampshire, the governor has taken you know, a cautious approach, but he's also tried to, I think, keep as many businesses open as he as he could. From the beginning, forest products industry was declared essential in New Hampshire, as opposed to at least in some other states where initially it was not declared essential, or at least in some other states. My understanding is that some parts of the forest products industry were essential, like the you know, paper and tissue manufacturing, but maybe other parts of the industry were declared non-essential, like logging. We know that they're all really intertwined and, and you can't, you know, one end can't function without the other. So, you know, I think the governor understood that. In general, we've been actually been okay, you know, okay in terms of sales. You know, I think prices across the board are, are probably down, but overall production, well, maybe down a little bit, hasn't, hasn't suffered maybe as much as we, as, as we worried that it would. Wes Miller at AM Logging in Pennsylvania explained how being deemed as a non-essential service at first impacted his sector. Wes Miller, I'm with AM Logging. I am responsible for business development and governmental relations uh, with the company. I've been I've been with AM Logging since uh, September of 17. And previous to that, previously to that, I had been involved with their company from the onset, which is about 14 years. Uh, the market had grown soft pre-COVID for uh, pulpwood and uh, and wood chips uh, to the paper mills. Uh, logs have been soft for a long time as a result of the China uh, deal. And, uh, and so we were quite busy, really, uh, but had started to feel the pressure of that, of that happening and started to go soft uh, before the COVID piece hit. Uh, with the closing of the schools in the universities, um, at least that's, the, that's what we're hearing from our, our paper companies, that print paper piece has really uh, going south. And if you look at what some of the major producers have done, they've shuttered mills, they've shut down mills, uh, uh, lines in their mills. And we've really felt the impact of that here in, uh, in this week that we're in right now is one of the softest weeks that we've seen through that. We think we've got to be near the bottom and, uh, there can't be too much more room to go, to go south. Uh, with mills still being open. Uh, some of our mills here in Pennsylvania have actually closed, um, both on the paper and the MDF side, in, uh, for short periods and then reopened again uh, with that. So uh, we've, we've really felt the, uh, felt the impact of it uh, from that aspect. So Pennsylvania, uh, Governor Wolf shut down construction. 
So with that shut down, uh, our construction side, which does land clearing, a lot of work for the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation, those jobs got shuttered as well. Uh, those have reopened and, uh, and uh, we'll be back at those by the end of this week and into next week. So that's going to help us a little bit as, as far as with that aspect of things. Uh, but the market is really quite soft. I think that um, it's been disappointing in, in my mind to see how here in Pennsylvania, our leadership in, from the governor's office uh, did not take advantage fully of the people that surround them as we were heading into this. So on that Thursday, when he published the list and decided to go uh, away from the Kaiser list, uh, he, 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 somebody from his office uh, could have called the Pennsylvania Hardwood Development Office and within two minutes gotten a really good rundown of what businesses are and aren't essential as it relates to keeping the paper industry rolling. And so a phone call to, to our Hardwood Development Council office and say, look, we would like to keep the paper mills open. What else do we have to do to keep them supported? And it would have been really easy for, for that office to say, we need to keep sawmills and secondary processors and loggers definitely rolling um, uh, through this process. But then that's not the way they went. So they instituted logging back in on Friday and then brought sawmills and some of the secondary processors back in on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, but if you're running an MDF plant somewhere, you, shutting that thing down is not like turning out the light when you leave the kitchen. And so at a time whenever things are, are highly pressured anyways, uh, we ended up costing many in our industry tens of thousands of dollars unnecessarily because of the uneven actions that came out of the governor's office. And, and that's, really, that's really disappointing. I mean, you have these people around you for good reason, and, uh, and you should use them. Uh, in these kind of situations. Now, having said that, I realize this is something that you don't do every day. And it's easy to, to, to look at a list and think you have it covered when you really don't or a situation and not really understand what all of those uh, consequences will be uh, coming out of there. Um, but but that, that piece was the most disappointing uh, that, that I saw coming out of there. I felt it could have been handled much better than that. Thanks again for listening to this month's episode of the Northern Logger Podcast. You can always read the magazine by subscribing online at northernlogger.com. There you can find more about this story and many others. Please stay safe out there.